Welcome to the Communication and Culture Podcast. This podcast is for you if you want to get your message across and correctly to the diverse people you interact with. It is for you if you feel people do not understand your message as you intended to. I am Nadege Minwa and I'm passionate about cultural differences and communication. In this podcast, I will share my experience and knowledge to send you on your way to becoming a better communicator, whoever your audience. You will also hear from guests, experts in their field, and sharing their experience and knowledge. To make sure you don't miss an episode, hit the subscribe button. Now, let's begin with today's episode. Hello and welcome in this new episode of the podcast and I'm delighted today to receive Liz Kislik with me and oh wow I'm so glad that she accepted to be a guest. So who is she? So Liz is a management consultant and an executive coach. She's also been a frequent contributor to things like Harvard Business Review and Forbes. She gave a TEDx talk Entitled Why There's So Much Conflict at Work and What You Can Do to Fix It. And this talk has received more than 450,000 views. So, Liz specializes in developing high performing leaders and workforces. And for now, 30 years, she has helped family run businesses, national nonprofits, Fortune 500 companies such as American Express, Girl Scouts, Staples. Janssen Pharmaceutical and Highlight for Children solve their thorniest problems about conflicts. So that's a short introduction. So now, welcome, Liz. And my first question to you is, what would you like our listeners to know about you? Thank you, Nadesh. I'm very happy to be with you. Uh, You said all the factual things that I think give context. Um, What I'll tell you that is on my mind today is, yes, I have worked with many family businesses and now I have one. I have recently hired my son and uh, we just did the social media announcement yesterday. And I'm very excited to see how well I practice what I preach. Uh, that's very good. Congratulations to you both. And, and it's true that, <clears throat> sorry, in the preparation of this podcast, I've been in touch with, uh, with Dev and he's been extremely nice and professional. So I think you've hired somebody really good there. <laughs> Thank you so much. I will tell him, of course. <laughs> it's very sincere. So let's dive into our topic today. And so you're a conflict expert. And what I like to discuss with you and get your insights on today is basically the communication around conflict and its relationship with the culture of a company, an organization. And so... My first question to you is, because you've seen a lot, how diverse is conflict 
in workplaces? That is an interesting question, Nadesh, because of course it is very diverse. It depends on the nature of the culture, who the people are, what their goals and needs are, but there are similarities. The first thing I'd say about the similarities is that we only define the interaction or the situation as being a conflict when we actively dislike it. If it's working fine, even though we have points of disagreement, we don't label it a conflict. We don't notice it. We don't get stressed or fearful because we don't feel threatened. It's the the feelings that, oh, this is bad. This is bad. This is persistent. I'm going to have trouble with this. That's when we call it a conflict. Um, and for example, you can have conflict because a senior leader is too directive, too forceful, not nice to work with. And you can have conflict because a senior leader wants to be kind to everyone, doesn't wish to upset anyone, and therefore doesn't take a stand on things. And so conflict ensues. That's just based on the personality and stance of a single individual, and that's enough to create conflict. So how much more so is it possible to have conflict given many different kinds of people who have different intentions, who join a company for different reasons, and that organization may have different embedded assumptions about how people are supposed to work, interact, and get along. Hmm. I really like that. And I really like this idea because, yeah, you know, we think of conflict and we we kind of all know what a conflict is. And, uh, you know, it's like beauty. We recognize it. We can't really define it, but we recognize it when we see it. You know, that kind of things. But I really like because what you were saying, it's actually conflict is subjective. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and and absolutely, and, and actually, I really like the idea that a situation will feel or seem very conflictual to some people and not at all to others. I find this concept very, very interesting, and to basic to to follow up a, a little bit on that. Uh, I was thinking, how much do you think from your experience, how much a workplace culture will actually influence this conflict, what is seen to be conflictual? And so so what is your idea on that? Let me give you an example. I have a wonderful client. It is a family-owned and operated business. There are, it's a large business, so there are many 
people in it, executives who are not family members. And I met with the leadership team and they were very concerned because there was conflict, there was dissension, there was unhappiness in the ranks. And as I chatted with this group of senior executives who had been in the company for a long time, the way they talk to each other and therefore the culture that they set was one that appeared to be full of conflict because they told those kinds of jokes that if you're sensitive, could hurt your feelings. They would make remarks to each other. They would tease each other. Sometimes it would look like two of them were almost ganging up on another one of them. Sometimes their language wasn't so great. And I was very direct with them and I surprised them very much in this first conversation because I suggested that their modeling suggested to other people that it was okay to be insulting. It was okay to not like your colleague, even though these executives actually like each other very much. They're very tight as a group, but they did not realize that more junior people would misread their intent based on their language and demeanor, et cetera. And so the culture actually became kind of argumentative and, and let's call it unhelpful over time. And as we planned what to do, and I did an assessment and interviewed a lot of the staff, and then we started holding a series of large and small meetings to communicate the desire to shift to a different state of being and worked on the workflows and the processes and procedures and operational things because structures always stir up conflict. But the executives told the story on themselves of what I had said to them. And that kind of discussion is very helpful to other people to actually hear that we recognize you are seeing us in a way we don't see ourselves and that that's not so good for you. So that's one kind of example of how the culture can be affected when you don't know it and that you have to take active steps to work to change it. Yeah, that's definitely a, a great example. And, and that's something I've seen a lot and you see a lot in the field of inclusion is that, you know, people just communicate normally for them, and but they don't understand that the way they communicate can hurt some other people, can exclude other people from the group and uh, and so it it's it the same and, and it, i'm sure in some sense we all do it because we just don't realize because we take it so much for granted and and it's true that the way we communicate each of us 
it's well we've been learning it from a young age taking it from how our parents communicate our teachers what was and uh, and and we grew up with it and we tend to think that it's normal so that yeah that's really a, a great example and to see how basically conflict can come from very different different sources and and here actually people so they understood there was something that was going wrong because they called on you <laughs> to help them but they had no idea that in a way they were the problem and they created by their own behaviors the uh, the, the problem and and i guess in in conflict um it's probably actually quite uh, quite a lot like that that people don't realize how much part of the conflict they are themselves and and that if they change a little bit um the conflict could change and disappear no am i am am i correct you what are your thoughts on that yeah that that's accurate and i want to go back to your earlier point because we are really usually unconscious of our own assumptions and expectations based on what we are used to. And what is clear is that people who have more power and or privilege are even less conscious of what's going on with everyone else. And that could be a function of organizational hierarchy and actual authority It could be a function of race in many organizations and many situations, or of gender, or all kinds of other differences. Neurodivergence, for example, is one of the ones that we are seeing much more now, both neurodivergence and mental health, um, which people are often just unaware of. They function the way they function. The difficulty is that if you have either power or privilege or both, it is unfortunately natural to make the assumption that everyone understands you and that what you see is accurate. The way you behave is normal. Any divergence from that should change because you are normal and everything else is not. You don't get change that way. You don't get positive change that way. The way to get positive change is to assess if you have more power, more privilege from people that you are having any difficulty with. And the thing is to go to them where they are and learn about what they need, what their experiences are. Because until the people with power or privilege open to the other people, it's actually really difficult to get any change at all. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. It it has to come, well, I wouldn't say from the top in, in this, but the top level of an organization has to change, has to work on themselves. They lead by example. So if they want other people to follow, they have to begin with themselves. Yes, yes definitely. And- That's a real business need. 
one of the needs that is so prevalent today is leaders saying they can't find the hires that they want mm -hmm. or they have turnover that they don't want. This is a very challenging situation. Being attractive to younger people coming into the workforce, to skilled people who may have their choice of who they go and work for. Well, it just makes sense that you would want to be more appealing. But appealing is not necessarily appealing to you <laughs> as the experienced leader. It is what is appealing to the people you're trying to attract. And that means learning about them and their needs and having empathy for that and being willing to manage in such a way where you are always, um, I don't mean, so I want to say where you are sharing decision-making and that doesn't have to mean in a formal sense. Yeah. I'm not talking about consensus management or some kind of collaborative, but actually asking people for their views and acting on those views. You can't always do what everybody wants, but you can show that you're taking them seriously. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, that's, very, very crucial when you interact with people, when, when you communicate. It's to understand that other people are not like you yeah. and that you need to open your mind and see the world from a new perspective, from their perspectives, which means that you have to ask what their perspective is and to understand it. And so, yes, to learn about these other people because they may look superficially like you but no they're not like you yeah no that's right that's right very that was a, a very good point yeah so now in in the episodes when uh, when i can i like to um give our listeners a little bit of a more practical advice you know mm -hmm. that they feel they take away uh, they take very away with, with something and uh, I've watched your TEDx talks. I've read um, your book on uh, conflict management. And uh, so basically here, you are absolutely full of practical advice on how to handle conflict. Can you tell us about that, please? Sure. Um, let's divide it into several different categories or buckets. So the first thing is to identify that you believe that a conflict exists. And if you happen to be participating in that conflict, there are two really strong cues to suggest, oh, I'm in a conflict now, I should think about how to handle this. The first is you have that idea because in general, you notice this when there is a disagreement that seems to persist. It didn't just get resolved because you had a meeting or you sent three emails back and forth. Something is really going on. And you know you are personally invested when you feel it in your body. We all 
have physical reactions, some of which we may try to suppress, but we all have physical reactions when we feel angry or frustrated or any of the things that we characterize as negative that actually means that our brain thinks we're under threat. So for example, you may feel your throat tighten and your voice may change, or you clench your jaw, or your stomach gets agitated, or your shoulders clench. That's good self-awareness. The best thing you can do for yourself in any of those circumstances is to actually calm your body. Because when your body is calmer, your brain believes you are safe. And if your brain believes you are safe, then you can figure out what to do, what to say differently, who to bring into the discussion, any of the practical things you might choose to do. So managing yourself in these situations, I'm going to give you a handful of techniques. All of these work. None of them work for everyone. So there are actual physical techniques. One of the ones I like is to feel your feet in your shoes and actually press your feet down and think about where your toes are and where your heels are. Anytime you reattach yourself to your body and your physical sensations, you're anchoring yourself in your body. And because you have time to do that, your brain starts to calm down. If you are in a phone call, for example, or you are not physically present, or you turn your camera off in a video call, this will sound so silly. But what you can do is actually look over your left shoulder and then turn and look over your right shoulder and really turn and look and take the time to notice that there is no tiger behind you and there's no person with a knife. And again, you are convincing your brain you're safe. You can also re-anchor yourself by looking around the room you're in and actually identifying to yourself a few things that you see, what you hear, what you smell or taste even. These sense impressions are again great for grounding and calming. So that's all on the physical side. But then you can be thoughtful and get curious. And curiosity is one of my favorite techniques in the world for almost any problem, even for what we were talking about, imbalances in power and diversity and those things. What's going on with the other person? Why is this happening? And not just what was I thinking before that made me angry, but what are the alternate explanations that could be true? That's very useful on an interpersonal basis. Maybe the other person had a flat tire on the way to work, and so they're more stressed and react more quickly or overreact. Okay, well, I can feel bad for them. Oh, I'm so sorry. I understand. And be calmer myself and give them a little extra room and grace today. That might be one thing. Another thing to think about, though, and this is not interpersonal at all, is what are the structural sources of 
this problem that we are both facing, although we seem to be reacting differently. A very classic example of this is the typical kind of conflict that occurs between departments. Say, for example, a sales group and a manufacturing group. Because manufacturing wants everything standardized and organized and timely. The more things are the same, the more they can optimize their processes and be efficient. And manufacturing cares about that. And they also get compensated for that. Whereas the salespeople care about pleasing their customer so that they can make their numbers. And so they may want things customized as much as possible, everything to be special, to be quick if that's what the customer wants, or to take longer if the customer wants changes. And they get compensated for their success with the customer. So their goals and all the structures of their job are actually in conflict. So of course they get irritable and distressed with each other because they are not facing the same direction. If you work on yourself and you understand the interpersonal dynamics and you think about the structures, and if you can encourage the participants in the conflict to do the same, you will come up with more ways of facing the situation and you're more likely to find some kind of overlap or intersection where you can make even small agreements and build out from that. Yeah, no, I, I, I like that. And, uh, and basically to, to summarize, to have these kind of three areas that you just described. So basically yourself, calm your body. Just take take your distance on whatever you're feeling, whatever the conflict might be, and calm your body. And then open up to the other. Try to think, well, we're in the same situation, but we're not seeing the situation the same way. So how does the other person see the situation that I need to understand that? So open up to the other and then check for the potential structural causes or things that actually will amplify the conflict. So I really like that. Yeah, yeah. Another thing you can do, because you said those beautifully, and sometimes people need a different target or focus to aim for, to help lift them out. If the people in conflict refocus on what their mutual goals are, maybe we all serve the customer, but in our own way. Or we all care about a fair and collaborative environment, even though we might think different things are fair. But if we can agree about what the big values are, it's a lot easier to feel like, oh, this person isn't against me. They just have a different expression of this thing I care about too. So again, let's build outward from the things we care about together. Yeah. 
Yeah. Thank you very much for that point. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that's really great. And um, we'll need to wrap up soon. But before, I want to to ask you in all your experience with conflict, what are the changes? And that's for, for the listeners, you know, to uh, kind of maybe motivate them to work on their own conflicts or find some help to to work on their own conflicts inside their own workplaces. What are the consequences of resolving conflicts or at least of handling conflict better in a workplace? So what changes do you see? When people actually believe in the good intentions of others, and work to resolve their differences or the way the differences manifest in workplace conflict. Everybody feels better about going to work in the first place. So it's just a better experience on a daily basis. There are enough things that are difficult about work, from deadlines to commuting to difficult customers. Anything that reduces pressure And again, anything that reduces a sense of threat helps people not only choose to stay as opposed to leave, but to be fully present. And when people are fully present, they can contribute more. They're more creative. They're more innovative. They find new ways to resolve all kinds of problems. And they have more ideas about what we could do to improve our business. So it feels better, which we all want that. And it can also actually generate more business for an organization and therefore more profits. And you can see a through line to reducing certain kinds of costs as well. If you can eliminate certain kinds of arguments, you save time. And time is money. Hmm. Yeah, so so quite widespread consequences in a way and positive changes that just on how people feel and then how they also can be more creative and innovative because they don't have these shackles in in the work. And uh, and yes, yes, for sure. All that will contribute to uh, better services or better products, or of course, more satisfied customers, and so at the end, more profit, more money. Yes, and if I could add one more thing, Nadesh. Mm-hmm. Yes. In today's world, I think it will also help with socializing younger people as they come into organizations and further into society. Because given, and sometimes this is seen as a a complaint or a problem, given how much time younger people have spent online and facing their devices as opposed to other human beings, they have less experience themselves working these kinds of things out. And if they come into a culture which tolerates and even encourages conflict, that is what they will learn. Yeah. 
they will not naturally learn by themselves to be productive by resolving differences and resolving difficulties. So I really think it's incumbent on those of us who've been around a little longer to think about the ways in which we are modeling behavior for younger people. Otherwise, our futures are going to be quite challenging. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because if we don't instill that positive culture, if I can say, and uh, and the standards and expectations that will make a workplace better, um, well, these new generations coming in, they're going to be there for the next 40, 50 years. And it means that for several decades, that suboptimal cultures, ways of doing things and tolerating things that shouldn't be tolerated, will stay in the organization. So that's a very important point. And, and it's true that, well, there are definitely different behaviors and communication between generations. And so we need to, to find that ground and, and to teach people. It doesn't mean that what they do is, is bad, is wrong. No, it, not at all. It's different. And, but it means that it may not be adapted in for a certain context. And so, yes, absolutely, absolutely, yes. Teaching them, teaching the new generation, even before they come to a, to a workplace. Basically. Oh, that would be great. Let's, let's teach kids at school. And, uh, well, anyone can teach their own kids. But obviously, yes. we need to have the proper things to teach them (laughs) well that's a different topic (laughs) okay uh thank you very much Liz that was absolutely a wonderful conversation um you'll have to come back (laughs) for some more and uh, now just my last question for you uh, but I'll, I'll put also some details in the uh, in the show notes. But for our listeners who would like to continue the conversation, the discussion with you, what is the best way of reaching you? Thank you, Nadesh. Um, if they go to my website, which is lizkislik.com, L-I-Z-K-I-S-L-I-K.com, they will find many years, many years of writing there that talks about communication and culture and conflict. Um, and the book that you referred to is a, a it's actually a free ebook it is. that they're welcome to sign up for. And also my newsletter and my blogs, I have loads of content and they can also find me on LinkedIn. Okay, so I'll put all these details and I also put the link to uh, your very insightful and enjoyable TEDx talk. Thank you so much. (laughs) So thank you again, Liz, for having been my guest today. It was a real pleasure. I enjoyed it very much. Thank you. If you listened to this point, it is that you probably liked what you heard. So subscribe, leave a review, share the podcast. I would be very grateful for it. 
last, I want to record credit to bensound.com for the music in this podcast. Until next time.